Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Homeopathy Hangout. Today we are speaking with Amy Lansky. She has a degree in mathematics and a doctorate in computer science and she's worked at SRI International, NASA and Stanford. Amy then made a very unusual career move. She became a student, writer and promoter of homeopathic medicine. This was prompted by the miraculous cure of her son's autism with homeopathy. She is dedicated to helping others, especially families with children with autism, to discover the curative powers of homeopathy. Let's jump right into the interview. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome, Amy. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's such a pleasure. So this is our very first podcast episode, and I couldn't think of a person that's more fitting to have on than you, because your book, Impossible Cure, was one of my very first textbooks when I was studying to become a homeopath over 10 years ago. So it's just so um, incredibly awesome to have you on today. So let's jump right in. How does a NASA computer scientist end up writing a book on homeopathy? Can you please tell our listeners about your journey um, on how you discovered homeopathy and how it led you to write Impossible Cure? Right. Well, actually, I think the beginning of my book discusses that because it really was not just a journey to alternative medicine, but really uh, to a complete shift in my whole, like my husband and I's perception of reality in many ways so uh it it was a completely life-changing experience in the end so um you know before um i really discovered homeopathy you know i had heard of it you know i see stuff in the health food store but i never used it and uh i was totally allopathic you know i had uh, have two sons and my younger son Max was like two or he I guess he was three and and this was in 1994 um and he was displaying he was one of the first kids in the epidemic of autism we now realize and uh we were going through there was just not the resources for that back then and we were just like going to the therapist and we didn't know what was going on. And at some point, um, I was, I was, I read this magazine called Mothering Magazine. I don't know if you have it in Australia, but it was an alternative. I think it still exists, but it's become much more conventional, but it's an alternative uh, parenting magazine. And there was an article by Judith Reichenberg Allman, Mm-hmm. Um, a three-page article of explaining homeopathy for ADD, mm-hmm. and she was claiming that she had this huge success. So I thought, I don't know what it was. Well, it was faith. See, now I know because all the studies I've done later, I had a like a information from above that this was it. It was like I said, this is it. I was lying in bed reading this article. I said, Steve, read this article. And I just said, this is it. So uh, I had a friend who was an acupuncturist. I said, who's a homeopath? And um, the the man who became our homeopath had just moved to our area and set up his first practice. Mm -hmm. And really, we were one of his first patients. Wow. And we walked into the the, um, office not knowing anything, really. And we had our interview. And we were very lucky. Now I know a lot more. This was like 
this was a long time ago, 25, yeah. over 25 years ago. And the first remedy he prescribed was the right one. I mean, oh. uh, <laughs> so we started giving it in LM potencies. Mm -hmm. And within less than a week, we were noticing just these subtle changes in him. So much so that his therapist said, what did you do? Uh, and he just was more connected, more, more connected to us, less distant, less. There was just a shift, very subtle. So anyway, time went on and we just kept doing it. And there were, it, it, this was not quick. People write to me now from all over the world about autism treatment, especially. And mm -hmm. I said, even in the most optimal case, which my son was, in a way, this was not quick. This was a process, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, within, uh, like, he's, we started when he was three and a half. By the time he was five, he was testing normally. But he was still a little odd. You know, there was still stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And our the therapist was so, un, she could not believe what happened. She says, I cannot believe what happened. So in so much so that she invited me and uh, my homeopath to come give a talk uh, for her clinic. And this is the number one speech and language therapist in Palo Alto. Okay. You know. Bastion of allopathic medicine, <laughs> Palo Alto, Stanford, right? So uh, that just started us on the voyage, and it just slowly became our primary form of treatment. And um, the time there was some online magazine, and somebody you'd heard, and they said, will you write an article? And um, at the time, I wrote this article. I can't remember what the name of the online journal was. And, mm -hmm. um, and then... There were changes in my work at NASA and stuff like that. And um, I just realized I started like studying homeopathy more. I was taking this class. And then I thought, I've got to tell her. this was such a miracle. I have to write a book, you know, and I'm a researcher. I have a PhD I'm, and, you know, I write all the time. I thought, okay, I'm going to write this book and let people know. So really that was my motivation. It was like, I have to, let people know what happened to our family. It was really just a really about that. I was driven. I was driven. So that's how it happened because that's I really amazing. truly was, you know, my kids went to the doctor, took all the vaccines up to that point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I just would never have questioned. Mm -hmm. what that's happened. so amazing. And Max is now uh, an adult. And uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, what's he doing these days? Yeah, yeah, Max is 30, believe it or not. <laughs> so, right, this was all 26, 27 years ago. Wow, amazing. And uh, he's, um, man, if you if you saw him, you would never guess wow. that he was autistic because he's an extremely social and very mm -hmm. handsome guy. He, um, I can tell you a little bit more about how he progressed over the years, but by... The time he was in high school, he was he was fine. Um, Does he, he remember slow. much? Does he remember much about uh, being a child with autism? Does he like? Do you think he has any messages that he would uh, pass on to families with children with autism? He he remembers um, a feeling of frustration. Mm -hmm. 
he remembers uh, that um, he was trying to like, like at one point we had him in this Montessori school because he could do his own thing and be by himself. And, mm-hmm. and he remembers trying to communicate and, and, and like feeling very angry and frustrated mm-hmm. that he couldn't communicate what he was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, uh, when he finally, because of homeopathy, started trying to communicate and they were not used to him being, you know, he was like starting to talk using toilet talk and saying inappropriate things and they didn't like it. So at that point, they actually said to me, can you put him back the way he was? Wow. So I switched him to a new school and they, they didn't think anything was wrong with that. Anyway, he remembers that frustration. He also interestingly feels that uh, he, he's working on this now that somehow it was he was a burden or that what we went through was a difficult for us now. This is his adult. I said, are you kidding? If it wasn't for what happened, you gave a gift to the world and our family really so um anyway what's he doing he went to a usc film school which is the top film school in the united states to become an animator and he's been living in la since then and he he was working for many years as a motion graphics artist uh because you can make more money than animation and uh and then COVID hit and you know la dried up for a year and he's he had money saved. He was on unemployment. He says, I'm going to take this time. And he's trying to become an actor. Wow. Amazing. And he's, getting, he's getting traction. I don't know if you want me to go on and on about this, but he, he's done two commercials. Aww. And he, you know, it's hard to become an actor. Mm-hmm. He's, and he just recently did a, um, a short movie mm-hmm. where he was one of the lead characters. And one of the people... In it was somebody who's actually been on TV, so she has more experience mm-hmm. in, on a TV show. And she said, "You are ready to get an agent." Wow! So you know, this is getting... so encouraging to hear because you know, <laughs> this was a child with autism doing all yeah. these amazing things now, and that's exactly what I want our listeners to hear. You know, I have so mm-hmm. many um, families uh, with children with autism in my clinic, and mm-hmm. to hear from somebody like yourself, this experience that you've gone through and what Max is doing now is exactly, you know, that little glimmer of light that they sometimes need in those dark days when things just seem so tough. So it's wonderful hearing this. I'm so glad. And you have another son called Isaac who lives in Australia, so it's nice to have that other connection. That's right. All right. So Sadly cool. for me, because I have no access to him now. I mean, my son Isaac uh, actually has now become an Australian citizen, so he's wow. a dual citizen. And he works at Google in Sydney. And um, so, of course, I've been wanting him to come back, but he's been there eight years now. Uh, and now he can't. Mm-hmm. Oh, like he could. It would be a one-way ticket. So, um, yeah. uh, But he uses homeopathy, too. Amazing. And, and he's you know, he's an extremely successful guy at Google. So, so he's 33. Um, Incredible. So. I'm just wondering, Amy, so I know this is a, a couple of decades now since you've sort of had a child with autism yourself. Um, but do you have any advice for um, families with children with autism? Yeah. And, and, and also mean, other therapies that you found useful. Any, any sort of advice for our listeners who, you know, are in the situation you were all those years ago? Any advice yeah. that you can give for them? 
So, you know, I do, I mean, I, people write to me, I mean, I probably get emails every day almost from parents and I don't, and I want to say I'm not a practitioner and I don't see, but I, I've never not responded to somebody and I always, I just try to give advice or guidance. I don't treat and I never charge because I view this as my thank you to the universe. (laughs) But I don't talk to people on the side. I don't consult. I just do it through email because that's. So I, first I want to say is that the situation now is much worse. Much worse than when Max was going through this. Because of what's going on with the environment, all the other assaults on our system, these kids now are much sicker. And they're getting so. Uh, and so it, the, the treatment is much harder. And so the patience must be much greater. Um, so uh, patience is a big factor. Um, with Max, you know, I would say he was a relatively um, simpler case. And all we did, uh, this was before I found homeopathy. I heard about something called the fine gold diet. Now we understand diet and autism, but back then we didn't. And he was addicted to milk, which is one of the main things to watch out for and he was like drinking eight bottles of milk a day wow it was like his lovey wanted milk 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 Mm -hmm. and so we took him off of milk we put him on goat milk actually but just much less and Mm -hmm. that was our first change he just was somehow less in the dream world when we took the milk away Mm -hmm. um but you know that but his he was still starting to show more autistic behaviors like ecolalia repeat you know repeating what you said and various other things yeah but he was less walking around in a dream world at that point um so that was the main thing and all osteopathy we took him to an osteopath and that he up to that point he didn't want to be hugged he was like, you know, that's very common. And he really started becoming more affectionate yeah. after uh, like osteopathy, you know, cranial work. Mm-hmm. So, um, so those, but now kids of course are using so much more, uh, you know, all these diets and other things. And, mm. um, I so, think that connection is a big thing for families with children with autism. I have a few in my clinic as well. And I have a a specific remedy that I've had really good success with just to help with that eye connection and contact and all that. And so many moms have said, if you can't help me any further, I'm happy as it is because he's looking at me and he's cuddling me. So that is a big right. thing, hey? Right. I think also, you know, by the way, if people go to my website, Impossible Cure, uh, I have like four years of radio shows I did and I, and I alternate between me sort of teaching and one of them is on the psychological aspects for the parent. So mm-hmm. that's also very important. Um, and a lot, I think it's really important that parents not go into despair, that they have a vision that their kid mm-hmm. can get better. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, accept the way their kids are. And it's a very difficult combination to see this vision um so yeah and yeah so and also that's something i'd love to talk about as well actually just because the other aspect i see in the clinic is the huge amount of pressure that it puts on the family unit and obviously divorce rates are much higher in families with children with autism so you know any sort of nuggets of advice that you can give about yes actually our our, the homeopath who treated max then 
is like a brother to me. He's like mm-hmm. my kid's uncle. So wow. he's not a home youth anymore. He's really kind of a member of our family. And mm-hmm. uh, he said that he thought that the that the close that the solidity of our family was a big factor mm-hmm. and that he, he his practice is probably mostly autistic kids now because of my book and he said that when there's like all this you know autistic kids are kind of psychic they know what's going on mm-hmm. in fact i think max is psychic he's not anymore but when i i remember when he was like five or something I was driving in the car, I was thinking about something, and he, he started talking about what I was thinking. <laughs> My kids do that too. It's amazing, hey? I think they're just so, children are so in tune with our energies. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's really important that I say, I say the parents should be under homeopathic treatment. Mm-hmm. That's such a good point you're making. And, and like, you know, and so every, eventually every single person in our family started going to the homeopath. And I talk about that in the book, too. It sort of starts this ball rolling of this kind of everybody's feeding off each other's growth Completely. and healing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and as mothers, we tend to always take the kids into the therapist first. But in reality, I always say to my families, if the mum comes in first, because I only treat women and children, but if the mum just came in first, you probably wouldn't really need to treat the rest of the family because they just <laughs> feed off our energy, don't they? It sucks, but yeah, it's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Certainly, um, you know, we always they always tend to bring the, the kids in first, but it's so important, like you said, for the whole family to be under homeopathic treatment to get the best result. Yeah. Um, and, you know, homeopathy is so complex um, and it's so hard explaining it to people that don't know what it is. And I'm uh, conscious of the fact that some people are going to be listening to this episode that might not even know what homeopathy is. So do you have like an elevated pitch, you know, 20 to 30 seconds of how you would describe what homeopathy is? 30 seconds, very difficult. I know, it's very hard. <laughs> I got to say, one of the first things I say is that homeopathy, I don't know about Australia, but in the United States, the word homeopathy is used for all alternative medicine. Same here. So that's the first thing I say. I said homeopathy is not a diet. It's not a general thing for um, alternative medicine. It's a Mm -hmm. specific type of alternative medicine. I say, you know, in the health food store, those little twos with the teeny little white pills, Mm -hmm. that's homeopathy. Mm -hmm. It's not herbal, it's not a diet, it's mm-hmm. not supplements, it's not any of those things. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing I say, because people actually don't understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so, and then I say, um, and then I always use this example. Mm-hmm. Um, well, to really explain the principle of, um, you know, this law of similars, mm-hmm. I said, you you. And I like this better than the onion one that people use. <laughs> I said, you know how, like, you want to drink coffee? Why do you want to drink coffee? Because it, like, it makes you alert and you're all excited and your mind is clearer and you can't, your mind is maybe racing. And I said, and you know how sometimes it makes you have your diarrhea or makes you have to go to the bathroom and it gives you heart palpitations? I said, those are the symptoms of coffee, and you, and you want to take it because it's like it really affects you. I said, well, interestingly, let's say you have insomnia, 
And it's not just the kind of, it's the kind of insomnia after a wild party and you're all excited and your mind's full of thoughts and you're very happy. And maybe you have diarrhea too. Your heart's beating fast. Then that might be a case where you can go to sleep if you take this remedy made from coffee. But you don't take, drink some more coffee. You, you take it in this really, really dilute form. It's the energy of coffee. And that will trigger a shift in you to sleep. But it's not. And then I usually say, but there's other kinds of insomnia. You know, when you're really upset and you wake up in the middle of the night and you're worrying about work, that's not, that's not coffee. That's a different remedy. So I said, that's how it works. You, you give something that matches your state. It's an energy that matches your state. And somehow it gets your body to, to heal from that state. That's, that's the kind of thing I usually say, but it's not 30 seconds. (laughs) Well, because more people think about drinking coffee than they do about peeling an onion. I mean, exactly. Um, So while we're on the topic of how complex homeopathy is, uh, apparently scientists still can't explain how gravity works. Uh, completely they have some idea but they can't completely explain i actually went we've got a great center here in perth called SciTech, and my kids love going there and they've got all these sciencey things and there was a display on gravity and it said scientists still can't explain how gravity works and then i just had a giggle because you know 200 years later we still can't quite explain how homeopathy works but it works and um we've got some really good theories so what are some of the most popular theories that are out there at the moment on how right. homeopathy works well there's there's several there's several you know um do you want me to really go through i i do go for it extensively for it. <laughs> uh, my book so like in chapter seven it's a i have a lot of scientific studies but then i also have a whole section on well how does it work and um so i mean the very most simplistic theory is um this action counteraction um so um and the body always wants to be in homeostasis it it wants to be in a sort of steady state and so if you push i think i like to think of it as a pendulum you know the pendulum it wants to be in the middle but if you push it one way it kind of goes back the other way so um and you can test this out for yourself i remember doing this with my kids i did it in their class if you put your hand in really cold water it will get really hot when you take it out and similarly with hot water so so uh that's action counteraction and that's why giving it a similar energy can move it in the opposite direction. So if you're sick in state, in this state over here, in a, a state where the pendulum is off kilter, if you give it a little of the same energy, you kind of, it's like pulling the pendulum up and it gets it unstuck and it swings back down. So uh, action, counteraction. Another one is that it that you can think of your body as a, as an energetic state. And if you give it something that matches your energetic state, it sort of strengthens your energy and enables it to work better. That's a, a, a sort of resonance with your energy. Another one, which is more, I think, uh, the more recent theories, and it's actually um, a bit similar to... Um, to Hahnemann's theory, and it's a theory of replacement. So think of it this way. Um, 
and this is actually connected to uh, complexity theory. So you're in a state when you're sick, you're you're like stuck. You're stuck in this chronic state you can't get out of. You're stuck. So how can you get unstuck? Well, if you give the body a signal that's very close to your stuck state, it will sort of go, oh, it'll get unstuck because it will go to this similar thing that's very close, very close to the stuck state. And then it will somehow lose its stuckness by because it's gone over to this new state. And this is similar to this complexity idea of attractors, um, where a very similar uh, state uh, attractor, your, your state will be attracted to that. Mm-hmm. If it's really different than your state, your, your, your state won't attract to it, right? But if it's close, you might. And so it shifts you into a different, into the, into the a state. And once you get shipped out of it, then your body can start taking over and healing as it should. So, Amazing. Um, those I was, are three. <laughs> and I was just listening to the um, AHA here in Australia. They had a conference in May and Dr. Alex mm-hmm. Tunier from the Homeopathic right. Research Institute was speaking uh, on there about all the work that they're doing now. Um, and he's about to move to Switzerland to go and work oh. at a university there. It's very exciting um, because Switzerland obviously has homeopathy as part of their constitution. And um, so I think there's going to be some huge scientific things coming out of that. And as they are developing more and more high-tech um, electron microscopes and things, it's not my area of expertise, but um, they're able to detect nanoparticles in the remedies and I right right that's the current everybody's into the whole sort of nanoparticle theory mm-hmm. you know personally i hate to push it back into materialism even at a nano level i like it under the energetic level but and you know um there is a science that it's energy too and i think of it as being in the etheric body which is the um the energy body surrounding our body um so and here's here's some evidence for that. So um, the the Jacques Benveniste, who was nominated for a Nobel Prize, and later um, um, Luc Montaigne, another Montaigne, French yeah. scientist yeah. who did win the Nobel Prize, yes. um, have gotten interested in this, and they found that uh, Jacques Benveniste that that. The highly dilute and shaken, this is how the remedies are made, not just diluted, but shaken, creates a signal that can be recorded, electronic signal. I mean, a, a vibrational signal that can be recorded electronically. Wow, I didn't know and that. And that signal can be transmitted on an email and then played back into water like thousands of miles away and it will still have the same effects. Amazing. So that's an indication that it's not about man it's not about a particle it's about a vibration that can be recorded because sound is a vibration so um so and jean and this luke montaigne has also found that other substances like dna and stuff can also be potentized and the signal uh derived from it and the same effect so um so so yes, I think you know if you ask me if if science can be 
I don't know. Ask me in 50 years, I think this will become not known instead of, but a paper I wrote saying, why is this being suppressed? When Luc Montaigne started working on it, he lost all his funding in France, even though he won the Nobel Prize for making the connection between HIV and AIDS, mm -hmm. and had to move his lab to, I think, China. I don't know if he's still there. Because, why? Because think about it. If you could take any substance, including an allopathic drug, and potentize it, and it still works, if you can email that signal to everybody on the planet, <laughs> three free drugs, it would completely destroy the pharmaceutical industry. I think so there's so many examples of that worldwide, hey, where um, you know, amazing discoveries have been made and the people who discovered those have then been ridiculed. You know, this is not new. It's been happened. Yeah. It's happened for centuries. So, so you know. in my view, you know, in the early days of Hahnemann, homeopathy was simply competition among doctors. Now I think underneath it all, the pharmaceutical industry knows that if the, the if the power of potentization actually was accepted, mm -hmm. it would it would destroy their industry. And they are now the most powerful industry in the world. So so that will be our block. And, and this is the underlying all the attacks on homeopathy, which are funded by the pharmaceutical mm -hmm. industry. Mm -hmm. so. Well, you just kind of touched a little bit there on <laughs> energy medicine and things. And I want to lead into that with synchronicity. Um, I listened to an interview you did about homeopathy and synchronicity, and uh, it completely resonated with me. I just, it's so my vibe. And I would love if you can speak about your definition of synchronicity and how you see that um, uh, intertwined with homeopathy. Right. Well, you know, after I finished my book, I started doing other explorations because my mind had been blown and open. <laughs> so, um, and I started learning about other energy medicine and then other spiritual things. And I, I ended up writing a second book. And, um, and, and a big theme of it, it was the concept of synchronicity. So what is a synchronicity? I mean, Jung came up with this term um, for the idea that things of similar meaning are, tend to co-occur in time and space. So he came up with the idea when like some patient of his was in a certain state which caused a certain dream and the dream was about this beetle and then as she was talking about her dream this beetle starts rapping on the window and so he kind of put two and two together so really a synchronicity is when like vibrations i think of it as i call them fields of meaning uh things with similar meaning um have, this, have a somehow a similar vibration at some level of reality, and they attract in time and space. And it causes these, what we call uncanny coincidences um, to appear. So, and then like, it was actually a student of Jung who was a homeopath, Christopher Wimpont, mm -hmm. whose son now, Ron Wimpont is a homeopath. I think Christopher Wimpont has, has died, but his son, Ron Whitman is a prominent homeopath in the United States. Wow. He's a doctor, too. Um, so Whitman wrote this book. He was a student of Jung, and he, he tied this into how the law of similars. And he said, 
that somehow this is a bit like the substitution theory, which is that the the sub the remedy has a similar um, vibration as the patient, and so in a way, just think about this: homeopathy might be treatment based on synchronicity. So you're instead of just having these things happen coincidentally, you're bringing these two together willfully, and somehow that's curative. Okay, so there's something about the phenomenon of synchronicity causes healing. Now, in my life, and if you think about yours, when you've had like major synchronicities, it's often a sign of something very important in your life happening. Absolutely. Um, so it's also a sort of a form of healing. It's 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 not just it may be a way the world is working, but it's also I think a way in which other levels of reality are communicating with us. So here we're getting more way out, right? Um, so it's like oh, that's it was true of how I met my husband. Um, uh, all these unbelievable synchronicities happen to make that happen. Very weird ones. And it's is is there spirits in the astral plane sending us information through synchronicities? We don't know, but. I've grown to believe that that's true. I absolutely agree. I have to share this beautiful story with you because I see yes. synchronicity in the clinic on a daily basis. Like the client will be saying something as I'm kind of like thinking about a remedy for them and they will say like something that relates to that remedy. You know, it's just so amazing. But one of my favorite cases was a client um, about six months ago who came in, took her case and she had all sorts of things going on. And um, I had just recently started playing around with butterfly remedies and um, you oh. know, it's not that much materia medica on them, but I did some um, of the lectures with Louis Klein and I um, bought Patricia LaRue's book. Um, I've got Peter Fraser's book on insects there's some bits on butterflies in there so I was playing around it I recognized some butterfly themes in her and I thought I'm going to give her the blue morpho butterfly and she had a long sleeve shirt on I should have said that at the start but had a long sleeve sheet on a shirt on told her I'm going to give you this butterfly butterfly remedy it's made from the blue morpho butterfly and she pulled up her shirt sleeve and she had a blue butterfly tattoo on her arm <laughs> So that's why when you when I listen to you speak about synchronicity and homeopathy, I literally see that happening every day in the clinic. And it's so funny, like, you know, my um, assistants that are often in the room with me when I'm doing my online consults, um, they just laugh now because I tell them, you won't believe what happened. They'll be like, yeah, of course we believe you. Like, it happens every day. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. this happens. This is one reason she had that blue that tattoo on her arm. Also, incredible, incredible, because um, it was healing to her in some way. Absolutely. So um, I'd love to also <laughs> lead into your second book, Active Consciousness. Um, can you please tell us a bit about the book, what it's about, how you came about writing it? And um, that was is it 2011, I think it was published. So it's already a while yeah. ago now. Yeah, it is a while. And I'm working on the third one. So uh, um, now the that book, it's it. In some ways, it's kind of a hodgepodge <laughs> because it really it weaves together all kinds of things uh, that I believe are related to one another. So at some level, it's my theory about the, how the universe is working. Uh, and um, and it, it, it 
weaves together stuff about synchronicity, Rupert Sheldrake's uh, morphic fields, uh, experiments, the psychic experiments, homeopathy, and then it alternates. Uh, I studied for many years with a teacher, Jack Gary Sherman, meditation teacher, uh, who te teaches this um, um, method called perceptual integration. And so there's a lot of his exercises in the book about how to meditate. Uh, and then I go into my theory. Actually, I came up with this theory before homeopathy. I think so. Hmm. I think I talk about it at the beginning of the book. Uh, how, because <laughs> I'm a Trekkie, about how this episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the first episode, talks about how the captain goes into this wormhole and um, and he essentially enters the fourth dimension. And in that, in that space, time and space are irrelevant. Are, so anyway, so I talk about if there's a part of us that exists in higher dimensionality, which I believe it does, mm -hmm. then we can use that part of us to to accomplish various things like to to do all the things that we think are psychic powers would be easily explained if we had a part of us that could see distant places which would be and so I, I explain that too and then I also explain how this theory can explain uh, like the various manifestation methods that people use because we can actually influence how the future actually see more about how the future will inf unfold and influence it through our thoughts and through this part of us so that's also part of it and then i also relate it all to um, the teachings of various esoteric teachers like Gurdjieff and steiner uh, kabbalah stuff like that so it really is this huge voyage but it sounds so complicated but i do believe i make it simple to read and it weaves you through this experience it really I, a friend of mine's reading it now and said man this is 10 books in one <laughs> which it. is sort of what i tend to be like um put the kitchen put my whole theory out there but now i'm writing a third book which really is developing more in a certain more i think understandable way or like a lot of the ideas were percolating in that book and now i kind of understand a little better well you know impossible cure is the same <laughs> that it is i can i can see why it was one of our prescribed textbooks and i can see why so many homeopathic colleges around the world use it as one of their prescribed textbooks because you know as i was rereading it i've reread it several times over the past 10 years but it just struck me again how you have covered everything anyone could possibly want to know about homeopathy oh. in that one book and speaking of which i'm so excited because uh we've just ordered 100 copies of your books it's arriving tomorrow Thank i was you. hoping it would be here so that i could have like a pile of it around me um but we you know we're about to start a book club for the hundreds of mums that i work with and who are just um so thirsty to learn more about homeopathy and i was like right let's start a book club and there's no better book that we could do this with than with yours so if is there any advice that you have for these mums who um i almost feel like i need to warn them because they're about to have their minds blown reading this book <laughs> Um, because you cover everything, you know, that anyone could possibly want to know about homeopathy. So any advice for these mums as they 
delve deep into the world of homeopathy? Well, um, first of all, it's not a how-to book. So it really doesn't talk about what remedies to take for, for what. But it really covers everything else. <laughs> so that's why it's used as a textbook. And a lot of homeopaths require their patients to read it because it helps you become a better patient. Um, because homeopathy. I'm sorry, I just have to tell you now that you said that. Speaking of synchronicity, um, I have a client with a daughter with autism. We had a follow up yesterday, and she's read your book. And she said, after reading after reading Amy's book, I have all these things that I have to ask you now. So you are so right. It actually helped her be a better patient because um, she knew the types of information that would be helpful for me, so that I could better help her. So I'm so glad that you clarified that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. And so yeah, it's used as a textbook. It's used in a lot of contexts. Um, so what was I going to say? I'm sorry. I interrupted you. <laughs> no, it's okay. It, it is it's okay. For these um, I think that, um, it, it's hard for people to understand homeopathy because they're used to allopathy. They're used to what a, a conventional doctor thinks and needs. And homeopathy is so different that, um, that you need to really understand at least the basics of this completely different view of health, you know, to, to really be a good patient, to really understand it. You don't have to, but you can be much more effective of healing yourself and working with the homeopath if you understand this, the ideas of homeopathy. Um, and so it, it covers my story, the book covers my story, it covers the history of homeopathy, and then it really goes into the philosophy, which is a very different philosophy of health, of disease, and healing mm -hmm. than conventional medicine. And I think that that philosophy is what makes it also very threatening to conventional medicine because a lot of what conventional medicine does is suppress symptoms, which homeopathy believes leads to deeper disease. So I discuss that and I discuss the science and I discuss how to prepare for uh, appointments. And so it really covers I've even had people say, my, my husband's like, you know, a scientist, but your book convinced him. <laughs> so, um, so also with the second book, too. So I, 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 that is, you know, I come from that. So maybe I try to make it a little more mm -hmm. comprehensive. <laughs> comprehensive and believable to the mm -hmm. average person, you know, Absolutely. and the average scientist even. Mm -hmm. so. Absolutely. Um, just a fun little question before we start to wrap up. What are your three top homeopathic remedies that you use in your home and why? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's hard to just our... choose three, hey? <laughs> well, Arnica, of course. Arnica, of course. Um, I mean, I would say that's um, number one. And then, like, the other the other ones, like, so there's first aid remedies, but... Um, our constitutional remedies, whatever they are at the time, which are the ones that fit us, mm -hmm. you know? So for me personally, I have often used aconite because I'm a kind of an anxious, like when I'm, but uh, what, what, what are most, I got to say, I use um, um, this, this Apis gel for mosquito bites. And, uh, you know, bug bites. Mm -hmm. 
I use that a, a lot, a lot. Calendula and calendula. Sexy. Calendula cream, ointment gel, calendula arnica. Those are maybe the top two. <laughs> and our constitutional remedy. That's so. brilliant. Um, I honestly could chat with you all day long, but I guess we should probably finish <laughs> up at some stage. Um, can yeah. you just finally tell our listeners where they can go to find out more about you and what you do? do? And I know okay. you've got several websites and places they can find you. So what's the best way for people yeah. to yeah, find yeah. out more about what you well, do? Maybe the, the, the easiest is just go amylansky.com, which is my name. Uh, and that has my blog. And which uh, the blog includes all my articles from both my newsletters. I have two newsletters, one for active consciousness, one for impossible cure. So, um, and then you can find links to my book websites from that site. So impossiblecure.com and activeconsciousness.com. Then you can find out how to order on the impossible cure site. There's like lots of info for autism parents, obviously. And, um, uh, yeah, that's it. And then, you know, third book, forthcoming, hopefully next year. Can't wait. Written, Can't wait. I've written the first draft, but I got to say, COVID kind of got me off timing, you know, <laughs> so I got to get moving again. So Excellent. Thank you so much, Amy. It was so wonderful hanging out with you. I really appreciate your time. And, you know, when you're ever down under after all this craziness is gone, come say hi in Perth. Well, I have another friend in Perth, so if I get back there... Okay, I'll, I'll go visit you too. Wonderful. So, Thank you so much. Yeah. Okay. See okay, you later. Bye. Bye. bye.